Father in heaven, we thank you that you'll be with us. This is a very important class on medical ministry, on what is medical ministry, true medical ministry. Uh, what should we be doing out there in the field? Please bless us. Help us to be open. And Father, we ask for your power and presence in this class. I know that there'll be some things that may be different for some people, but help us to accept your word and we thank you that you'll have your presence here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, what is medical evangelism? That's a good question, isn't it? Medical evangelism, let's read it together, is meeting the needs of others in loving service with the ultimate goal of introducing them to the source of love, Jesus Christ. I shared in our last class the fact that, yes, we should have an ulterior motive, right? Yes. Jesus had an ulterior motive. His ulterior motive, yes, he wanted to help the people physically, but his ulterior motive was to help them spiritually and lead them to him. So yes, we do have. So what is medical evangelism? It's really meeting the needs of others. Do people have needs in their physical life? Are they dying of heart disease, cancer, strokes, diabetes, all the rest? What are those needs? And are we ultimately leading them to the Lord Jesus Christ? That's what true medical evangelism, and that can take on many aspects. That's why you do not have to be a health professional to be a medical evangelist, to be a medical missionary. You do not have to be a health professional. But if you are a health professional, you have an advantage. Use that and those gifts for the Lord. But if not, hide behind the health professionals. That's what I, my husband and I do all the time. My husband's a theologian. He's not a health, a health uh, professional. He's a medical missionary evangelist. And I do the same thing. Yes, we've taken many classes in health and nutrition and all the rest through the years, but that's not been the course of our study. And yet you can use that, uh, those gifts for the Lord. So medical evangelism, is really meeting the needs of others in loving service, serving them, helping them, uh, and then ultimately introducing them to the source of love, which is Jesus Christ. So, what is the purpose of Je what was the purpose of Jesus' life? It was to minister, right? It was to minister, and the Master is ex is concerned about every aspect of our lives, isn't he? every aspect, and he's concerned about our health. He's concerned about our health. In fact, 3 John 2 says, let's read it together. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. So Jesus says, I wish above all things, another translation says, that you may prosper and be in health. So let's look at God's principles, because they are throughout the Bible. God's principles of health are throughout the Bible, throughout the Old and the New Testaments, 
physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health are linked throughout the entire Old Testament. Health is a part of God's plan for abundant living in Bible's, the Bible's first book, the book of Genesis. So right from the book of Genesis, you have some things on health. Genesis 1.29 says, And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. So God says, I've given you a wonderful diet. The Eden diet was what? A vegetarian diet. And we can present that clearly and unashamedly in the public. No questions about it. You can present that. And people love it and will accept it. And my friends, you know what the truth of the matter is also? The world is ahead of us. I can go into Whole Foods and my non-Adventist friends there tell me, I'm a vegan vegetarian. And here are all the vegan vegetarian options. They're not Seventh-day Adventists. But they're ahead of us. And we can be the head as well if we want to follow God's plan. Well, health is also a part of God's plan in the book of Exodus, right? Exodus 15, 26 says, let's read it together. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statues, I will put none of the diseases on you which I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. God says, if you follow my ways, if you follow my laws, I'm not going to put these diseases on you. And the Bible is true, right? Because it says, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord, if you do what is right, if you give ear to his commandments, that is the laws of health as well. I'm not going to put all these diseases, this cancer and all these things upon you. Now, I recognize my friends, and I think I'm smart enough to know that there are hereditary and environmental factors that come into play. But even in spite of all that, you can extend your life. You can help your life span by your lifestyle practices. It is proven today. You see, studies done on the Egyptian mummies confirm the truthfulness of God's word. Dr. Rosalie David of Manchester University in Manchester, England, did studies on the mummies and learned that it is likely that Ramses II of Egypt died of a massive heart attack. Now, there were extensive, and you can go to the museum in, in London, the British Museum in London, and we've been there many times and took these pictures and so forth and did studies, and you can go there and you can see that there were extensive studies done on these mummies, and they found that it's very likely that Ramses II of Egypt died of a massive heart attack. Dr. Claude Ruffet did x-rays on 14,000 mummies, and this is what they found that the same diseases we have today, the Egyptian mummies died of. Heart disease, cancer, arthritis, the same ones they had then, they, we have today. Heart disease, cancer, arthritis, obesity, high blood pressure, rheumatism, and sexually transmitted diseases. Same thing, same thing. 
So you see a parallel, right, between the two. The Bible is so accurate. God says, if you follow my laws, if you follow my statutes, I'm going to put none of these diseases on you. And Psalm 105, 37 confirms that. It says, let's read it together. And there was none feeble among his tribes. There was none feeble. So we can prolong our life. You see, health is a part of the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So health is in the Old Testament, health is in the New Testament, and health is a part of God's plan in the proclamation of the three angels of Revelation 14. So health is in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and health is a part of the three angels' message. The ministry of health and healing is central to the faith and practice of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. It is central. Testimonies, Volume 1, page 486. Let's read it together. The health reform I was shown is a part of the third angel's message and is just as closely connected with it as are the arm and the hand with the human body. Wow, you mean to tell me that health and the three angels' message are connected together? Isn't that what it says? Just as much as the what? As the arm and the hand are connected to the human body is the message of health and the message of the three angels' message. We have been very privileged in our ministry, very privileged in our ministry, because we started off with Pastor O.J. Mills in Hartford, Connecticut, where he had an emphasis on health ministry and Bible study ministry. That's where we're, you want to know why Mark Finley preaches like he does today? It's because he learned to be a good Bible instructor through Elder Pastor O.J. Mills. And if you are a good Bible instructor, then you can be a good preacher. And so we were privileged. Then we were privileged to be under the tutelage of Elder O.J. Uh, uh, of Elder W.D. Frizee. And Elder Frizee trained under Elder Tyndall. You know who Elder Tyndall is? Are you familiar with Elder Tyndall? Okay, those of you who are not, I'll tell you a little bit about Elder Tyndall. Ellen White, February 27, 1910, had a vision. She had a vision, and she saw that there needed to be a decided change in methods of evangelism, that we needed doctors and nurses and health people, and we needed Bible instructors and call porters and all these people together, and we needed to have companies and teams of workers. And Elder Tyndall was a lawyer who had become an Adventist, was a preacher, and he was now also had a master's in public health from Loma Linda. And he was asked to go and to demonstrate Ellen White's vision of February 27, 1910. And we had the privilege of meeting Elder Tyndall when he was 93 years old, sharp as a tack in his mind. And the last meeting that Elder Tyndall ever attended was one of our health meetings where we were combining the health and the spiritual together. And I will never forget it. 
as we left the meeting, as we were the last one that left that night, dear old Elder Tyndall, who uh, learned from the prophet herself and followed up that vision, we, he threw his arms around my husband at 25 years old and said, Brother Mark, Brother Mark, this is what the prophet commissioned us to do. Go and do it. You are young. Go and do it. And that was the motivation for us to get involved in health ministry in our evangelism and health evangelism. And so it is connected together and it goes together. We need teams of us working together, pastors and health professionals and, and ministers and lay members and all of us together. The story of how God led his people to an understanding of the laws of health, which he had established to govern the human body, my friends, is a absolutely thrilling one. Let me tell you a little bit about it. The vision given to Ellen White in 1863 called for radical changes in the personal living habits of the church members. The vision also gave rise to the development of the Seventh-day Adventist medical work, which we now see spanning the globe. So this vision was very, very critical. What were some of the reasons for the health message? The reasons for the health message were that they needed to have improved health. They needed, they had health fads back there. It was to prepare a people for the coming of the Lord. So you had the, the vision here of uh, 1863. It was in Oswego, Michigan, 1863. And our own pioneers had bad health. There were health fads of the day, and also God wanted to prepare a people for the coming of the Lord. And in 1863, we sent out our first missionary, J.N. Andrews, and at the age of 34, he was in such poor health, he wrote this, my general strength was easily exhausted. I found it difficult to perform the labor which devolved on me as a preacher. So our own pioneers needed this health message. The early Adventists from 1844 to 1863 were often sick. Their bodies often labored under a heavy load of overwork and disease and a general lack of knowledge of health. So they were overworked and there was disease that was plaguing them and they had actually a lack of knowledge of health. What were some of those health fads and lack of knowledge? There was a general lack of knowledge on the true science of healthful living in the mid-1800s. Many medical authorities followed the latest health fad. What were some of them? What was the medical care really like in the 1800s? This was at a time, my friends, when the Advent movement grew out of American soil. And Dr. Worthington Hooker wrote a medical handbook in 1858 in which he recommended mercury as a remedy to treat chronic disease or bloodletting or bleeding if used judiciously, alcohol as a treatment of disease to help patients sleep, and quinine for colic and intermittent fevers. You see, the fads were unbelievable in Ellen White's day. And Dr. Chapman in, me in Family Medicine Chest Dispensary published in 1835, he prescribed the use of tobacco as a remedy for ailing lungs. Do you see why God had to give a vision 
to, God, to his people, and he discussed the benefits of breathing freely cigar smoke. Wow. I mean, this is what was happening when God needed to give a vision to Ellen White. This was the setting for the Adventist health message. It was in this setting of ignorance of the laws of health that God gave Ellen White messages on health reform. And she had many visions. These are not Ellen White's ideas. These are God's ideas. And that's why we need to be willing to accept them because God knows better than you and God knows better than me, right? God knows better than us. He knows what we need. And it was June 6, 1863 in Otsego, Michigan, that Ellen White received a remarkable and memorable vision on the subject of health reform. And here are just a few excerpts from that. I saw it was a sacred duty. I saw. Did she see something? I saw that it was a sacred duty to attend to our health. So what I'm going to share here today may even help your own health, but it is a duty to attend to our health. And then she says, it is not safe nor pleasing to God to violate the laws of our health and then ask him to cure our health and keep us from disease when we're living contrary to our prayers. Have you ever read and are you familiar with the fact that the reason that God does not heal many people today, you can read this in the gift of prophecy. Do you know the reason that he does not heal? The reason she says that God does not heal many people today is simply because God would not be glorified. God would not be glorified because we would go back to the very practices that caused the disease in the first place. So if we are having some of these disease and these things causing it and we go back to it, God is not glorified, therefore God does not heal. Yes. Uh, this is taken from, um, actually there's a book put out with all, on the health message and it's the story of our health message. I didn't write down the page, but it's from our, the story of our health message. And in this vision, God revealed the relationship between lifestyle habits and our health. You see, she had medical enlightenment a century in advance, a whole century in advance. And we need to be uh, sharing that with people around us. God revealed the benefits of lifestyle practices. And in Ministry of Healing, she tells us what are the true remedies. I know you're familiar with this statement, but this is very critical to what we're going to be doing in the next few uh, graphics. Let's read it together. Pure air, sunlight, abstemiousness, rest, exercise, proper diet, the use of water, trust in divine power. These are the true remedies. My friends, not all the drugs that are out there today, but these are God's true remedies. These are the true remedies. I tell you, if I did not, I can honestly say, I'm writing a book on health right now, not from the health professional standpoint, but from my own testimony and my own experience. And I am sharing how I, there's no way that my, neither my husband nor myself could maintain the health that we have doing what we do around the world if we did not know and practice these eight natural remedies. They are powerful. 
the power of water and water treatments. Unbelievable. And, and, and we have a long ways to go because we certainly don't follow them perfectly. I wish we did. We're trying, but who of us is following them perfectly? And so, but these are God's true remedies. And in this message, God sent a messenger to save the lives of these early Adventist leaders so they could powerfully proclaim his last day message. So what are some reasons for health ministry? I mean, let's, let's be practical here again, like we were in the first session. Why should church members, why should you as young people, middle-aged people, older people, whoever you are, why should you take the time to be involved in medical evangelism? I can tell you, we've done this for the last 42 and a half years. 42, I start, we started in 1967 with our health ministry and in our, our, with our internship and by the time we were in our first district at 19, in 1969, I had my first cooking school and I can tell you we've been doing this for the last 40 years and there is a lot of work involved, right? A lot of work. So why should you do this? Let's look at number one. Health ministry gives us an opportunity to restore people's health. People's health is broken. So let's leave out the fact right now. Now remember, what I taught you in the first class is that the first principle is to know the, to, to have a strategy uh, from the beginning to the end, right? So that you know where your course is going. So your ultimate goal is to introduce them to Jesus. But let's just leave that out right now. Let's just look at the physical part of it and people's health is, people's health is broken and it needs to be restored. And so how can you help them? So one practical reason for health ministry is that many people have broken health and they need to be restored. Look, cardiovascular disease is the number one killer in the United States. The number one killer. And people are dying all the time around us. We can help them. If you look, of all the deaths in the United States, Western Europe, and Australia, of all the deaths that occur, 50 to 62% are from cardiovascular disease in the United States. Over 50% of the deaths. Can we change that by just simply helping people's lifestyle? Yes, the answer is yes. What about cancer? It's the number two killer. The top three cancers in men are lung, prostate, and colon cancer. In women, lung, breast, and colon. Now look, we've been experiencing this in our own family. My mother died a year ago of brain cancer. My mother-in-law just died two weeks ago of breast cancer. It's hitting us everywhere. I recognize we live in a world of sin and there are these diseases, and sometimes they afflict us, and it may not all be due to lifestyle. However, there are some that can change this course and this direction by lifestyle. And health statistics, statistics show hundreds of new cases of diabetes 2 that are diagnosed every single day. And the obesity problem, 
And it's not just here in this country, in many countries. I was in Australia and I thought all the Australians were fit. And I just did an extensive study on health there because I was presenting some health, pro, uh, some health lectures and I learned that over 50% of the Australians were obese. So in many countries, over 56% are overweight or obese. Osteoporosis, health statistics show that it affects one in two women, one in three men around the world. Now I recognize there are also hereditary factors here. Osteoporosis hits white females, white women, who are small-boned. Some of us are just prone to some of these diseases, but we can help by some of our lifestyle. One in three men around the world also, but 50% of the women and 30% of the men will get fractures, and the fractures are what you need to be concerned about, right? The fractures. So number one, health ministry gives us an opportunity to restore people's health. They're broke, it's broken and it needs to be restored. Number two, conducting health ministry, you give others the opportunity of living a vibrant, healthy life. Some people have said to me, I don't want to live longer because I don't want to live like this. I got emphysema. I got cancer. I got, you know, diabetes or I got this or that. And we need to help them to live a vibrant, healthy life. So you have the opportunity of helping people live a longer but healthier life by making right lifestyle choices. You can lessen the suffering in our world. Councils on Diet and Foods, page 77, says this, the work of health reform is the Lord's means for lessening suffering in our world and for purifying his church. So this is God's way of lessening the suffering and also purifying his church. Now Loma Linda University uh, School of Medicine did some studies and they did find the Adventist, uh, in the Adventist studies that the Adventists had an advantage and they were healthy by choice, not by chance. But look, the November 205 issue of the National Geographic reported that Seventh-day Adventists are among the longest-lived people in the world, and that is true, but there were some other studies done as well. Ten Years of Life is a Matter of Choice by Gary Frazier and David uh, Shelvick from Loma Linda University School of Public Health reported that Adventists do live longer, healthier lives, maybe even an extra four to ten years. However, in the second report titled Cancer Incidents Among California Seventh-day Adventists 1976 to 1982 by Frazier's group, this study compared the cancer incidents among California Seventh-day Adventists with incidence rates in the state of Connecticut. And according to the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, May 1944, Although cancer rates among Seventh-day Adventists are usually lower than the general population, Seventh-day Adventists rank higher than the general population for some specific cancers. And you ask why. And I have a whole sheet of some of this scientific studies. 
Men were higher incidence in cancer, melanoma of the skin, prostate, and brain. And then women, melanoma of the skin, uterus, ovary, and genital cancer. And when you look, why are some of these things happening? We're going to go over this. Ernest Widener, MD, president of the American Health Foundation and epidemiologist, stated 60% of female cancers and 50% of all male cancers in Western society are directly related to overnutrition, particularly to the high intake of fats, grease, and oil. So it is related. A high and also proof positive, page 29 in Dr. Neil Nedley's book, it says a high intake of cholesterol, which is present in meat, eggs, and dairy products, has also been linked to an increased incidence of cancer in several studies. Now this is confirmed in Councils on Diets and Foods, page 383. Let's read this together. Cancers, tumors, and pulmonary diseases are largely caused by meat eating. Do we need nutrition classes today? Not only, my friends, for the non-Seventh-day Adventists, do we need them in the church. Over 50% of Seventh-day Adventists are meat eaters. Over 50% are eating meat. And so, listen to this one. Councils on Diets and Foods 386. The liability to take disease is increased how much? Tenfold by meat eating. Do we need vegetarian cooking schools in our churches just to teach them the benefits of a plant-based diet? We increase our disease for these kinds of cancer. And why are so many Adventists getting cancer than the average population even in some, uh, in some areas of, of, that I just showed you in these forms of cancer? Why? Because oftentimes we are replacing the meat with the milk, the eggs, and the cheese, the high fats, the high cholesterol. Um, Councils on Health, page 115. Many die of diseases wholly due to meat eating when the real cause is scarcely suspected by themselves or others. They're dying of these diseases of meat eating. In our nutrition series, we share the health consequences of meat eating as well as the advisability of eliminating all animal products from our diet. So you ask me, what do you do in your cooking school? I unashamedly say a plant-based diet. No milk, no eggs, and no cheese. And you know what? I teach most of my classes are non-Seventh-day Adventists. And my largest class I've ever had is over 700 in my nutrition classes. And I've never had my friends in 40 years. I started in 1969, so that's 40 years going on day one of 43, right? <laughs> I've never had one debate. Never one debate. You know why? We present the positive. We present the positive. We don't get up there and say, 
This cooking school is going to be conducted with no milk, no eggs, and no cheese. And when you get home, we want you to throw out all of the meat in your freezer and in your refrigerator. No, we take them step by step, gradually, right? And, and we have them come along. But you can share with them some of these facts. Here are some specific reasons why we do not use animal products in our cooking schools. High cholesterol. Eggs are the number one highest source of cholesterol that we have. And you've got all the fat and the cholesterol. You've got fat and cholesterol, and you even have the sugar problem with some of these foods as well in, in the animal products. According to the article, The Adventist Advantage, A Closer Look by Benjamin Lau, numerous studies have shown that cow's milk and dairy products contribute to cancers, heart disease, diabetes, osteoporosis, and many other diseases of affluent societies. So we have a message out there. This is confirmed again by Councils on Diets and Foods 356. Let the people be taught how to prepare food without the use of milk or butter. Tell them that the time will soon come when there'll be no safety in using eggs, milk, cream, or butter. And I believe we are at that time. And, and that we need to be teaching the people how to use a natural plant-based diet. Because disease in animals is increasing in proportion to the increase of wickedness among men. And we have a message to share, my friend. An article out of Harvard, published by June M. Chan, Diet, Dairy Products, Calcium, and Vitamin D, and Risk of Prostate Cancer could not be more convincing when they found 12 out of 14 case control studies and 7 out of 9 studies observed a positive association between dairy products and prostate cancer. And you can read some of these studies for yourself. You, they're out there. You can even go in the, on the internet and get some of these studies. In 1960, one in 20 women in North America developed breast cancer. In 1980, one in 11. In in, and now, one in seven. And I'm not sure what it is for now, 2010. <laughs> but one in seven women will develop breast cancer. And it's a horrible thing. It's a horrible thing, I know. I just went through my very own mother-in-law's death, dying of breast cancer. It's, it's terrible. In the Western world, statistics indicate that the leading causes of death are what? Are, they're preventable. So what is the optimal anti-cancer diet? One that's low in fat. One that contains little or no animal products. And I would even take out the little. Someone said, well, you know, but I don't, I don't use, the only time is this, you are, you know, like Paul says, for conscience sake, you know, don't ask whether the, you know, meat in the marketplace was uh, uh, given, to, given to idols or whatever. And so you may be in a home and you may be served something and you can't make a big deal of that. You can't make a, you know, an issue, but basically in your home, 
and in your cooking schools, we should have no animal products. One that's high in fiber and one that's high in phytochemicals. I tell you, that is so important. More than 200 studies of eating habits throughout the world showed that fruits and vegetables decrease the cancer risk. So the more vegetables, the more fruits, because you see cancer, and, and I know these physicians could do a better job than myself on all of these issues, but cancer actually feeds on sugar and fat and all of that. So the more, if you have cancer, the more you eat that, the, the worse it's going to become. And, and so uh, I, I, to be on fruits and vegetables and some of these natural things is the way to go. The optimal diet also consists, not sure why this is doing that, of a wide variety of fruits, nuts, grains, and vegetables simply prepared. I think this is coming out. Okay, so a wide, you cannot go wrong with a wide variety of fruits, nuts, grains, and vegetables. Dr. Nedley shared yesterday in the question and answer period how that you get adequate protein. You will get adequate protein if you have a wide variety of fruits, nuts, grains, and vegetables, and that will be complete protein. That means you have all those eight essential amino acids that you need because the body doesn't know whether it gets it in one package of meat or whether it gets it through these natural sources of fruits, nuts, grains, and vegetables. The optimal diet consists of using sparingly fats, oil, salt, and sugar. Now I use a little bit of salt in my cooking schools. I use a little bit of honey. I don't use sugar but I use a little bit of honey in my cooking schools. And I find that, you know, there are, and I share with them when I share simple healthful desserts, that there are special occasions, maybe once a week, maybe birthdays, maybe holidays, maybe some other special occasions when you wanna have desserts. But if desserts becomes the main source of your calories, then you're probably in trouble, right? And so you use sparingly fats, oil, salt, and sugar. Councils on diets and foods. And I don't know, my friends, scientifically everything that this means. And I don't know all of the answers about the B12 and all the D and all the rest, but all I know that Councils on Diets and Foods, page 363 says, in grains, fruits, vegetables, and nuts are to be found all the food elements that we need. Amen. All the food elements that we need. So I know that if you are teaching in your classes that people need a wide variety of fruits, nuts, grains, and vegetables, that you're okay, you're safe, you're safe. The National Cancer Institute recommends five fruits and vegetables and preferably nine servings a day. I was teaching a class and my husband said, you know, he always likes to keep it simple. And he said, keep it simple. Just tell them at the end of the day, if they don't remember anything else, remember the 1958 diet. And I said, Mark, the, uh, the 1958 lifestyle. And I said, 1958, what's that? Well, here it is. You want the 1958 program from Mark Finley? 
Here it is. The one is one hour a day with God. Okay? The nine is the recommended nine fruits and vegetables every day. Eat them temperately and moderately. And then walk five miles out in the sunshine and the fresh air and get that good blood flowing. And then drink eight glasses of water and eight hours of sleep and hug your wife eight times a day. <laughs> and you have the eight natural remedies right there packaged in the 1958 program. You see, so you can remember that. Anyway, it's some of these kind of things, isn't it, that the people in your classes absolutely love because they go away saying, wow, I think I'll go on that 1958 diet, right? That program, okay? Um, God has given his last day church life-changing truths. The health message is to keep, is good to keep, is too good to keep to ourselves, right? And millions the world over are waiting for the message of health entrusted to Seventh-day Adventists. They are. They're waiting for you to tell it. And by doing health evangelism, you can lessen the suffering, my friends, in the world. You can. So why health evangelism? It also gives people an opportunity to accept the gospel, to come in contact with loving Christians. So first, people need restored health. Second, you can help them to live a vibrant, healthy, rich lifestyle and, and, and a rich life, right? And three, you can have an opportunity to in introduce them to the gospel and Jesus Christ. Contacts made through health ministry can provide access to the hearts of the people. They open doors for truth. They remove pre prejudice, revealing the gospel in a practical way. That's what it does. I've seen it every time. I had a cooking school, and I was doing what I said before where I was introducing the evangelistic brochure and I had the ushers pass them out and I had two ladies in the front and one lady and I could hear them I mean my demonstration table was right here and I could I could hear them talking and she said oh are you gonna go to that religious program next and she said why of course they had something good to say on health didn't they they probably have something good to say on the Bible too and do you know what? Marge came every night to the evangelistic series, and we studied the Bible with her, and at the end of that series, she was baptized. You have an opportunity, my friends, to open doors for truth, remove prejudice, and reveal the gospel in a practical way. Councils on Diets and Foods, page 76. I have been instructed that we are not to delay to do the work that needs to be done in health reform lines. We are not to delay. You are to go back and get your health ministry director inspired to start health programming. Start with what we talked about, sequence. Start with a health expo and then go to maybe some kind of chip program or, or cooking school and then stress and then maybe end with depression so that you can lead that right into the evangelistic meetings but do some kind of health sequencing as you work and she says through this work we are to reach souls in the highways and the byways 
So we're to reach souls in the highways and byways. We need to go out there. I can see, she says, I can see in the Lord's providence that the medical missionary work is to be a great entering wedge whereby the diseased soul may be reached. We've heard that so many times, right? That it's the entering wedge. It is. And millions the world over are waiting for the message on health entrusted to Seventh-day Adventists. They're waiting for this. They're waiting for you to go back and have a health program. Evangelism, page 516. Let's read this together. Medical missionary work gives opportunity for carrying forward successful evangelistic work. It is as these lines of effort are united that we may expect to gather the most precious fruit for the Lord. I know that you can gather some of the most precious fruit from the Lord. And it doesn't matter what, what, uh, how inexperienced you even feel. Let me give you an example. Let me tell you about my first cooking school. My first cooking school was in 1969 in Quinnebog, Connecticut. This little town, our first district. Now you have to understand, after we left Pastor O.J. Mills in Hartford, we had to go out on our own. We had been in a dynamic church. Pastor up there, personal ministries up there, director every week, inspiring the church, going out on health ministry, Bible studies, all these things. And now we're in our first district. And the conference president said to my husband and myself, he said, well, we need you kids. We were just kids. We were 22 years old, uh, 20, 24 years old. And he said, we need you kids to go down into this district and bring some life because these churches are dead. One church is dying and about ready to close down. The other church is, meets in a morgue, and literally, in a morgue, in a graveyard, and it's ready to close down. But you have one good church. And so this good church you need to try to build up and work on because it needs some help, but it's what your good church. Well, my husband practiced his, he wrote his sermon, practiced it all week, and then he went down to his study and said, come, I want you to hear my sermon. He's a manuscript preacher, still is today. You wouldn't know it because, you know, he knows where he's going, but he's going, but he writes out everything. So I listened to his sermon. He was all excited. We thought, our good church, the place is going to be packed. This is thrilling. So we got there early to the church, and we had one deacon there, and he kept looking out the window. He kept going and looking out the window. Finally, he came to my husband, and he said, Well, Pastor... I sure hope someone shows up today. And that was our good church. That was to be our good church. So you know what? We said, we need to go out in the highways. We need to go out in the byways. We need to conduct a cooking school. I, we were doing a lot of different health programs, but we, uh, uh, I had never really, I, I saw one cooking school in the Hartford Church with, um, Pastor Mills and, and the team there, but I had never conducted one. I had never had one. I didn't know what to do. And 
I, I mean, I didn't know how to organize it. I didn't have materials. I didn't know what to do. So my husband did the scientific part, and I did the demonstrations. And I had one person only helping me. She ran from the registration into the kitchen. She ran from the kitchen out to serve them out at the serving table. And I didn't even know how to organize it. And I thought, oh, this is a disaster. Nothing is going to come out of this. But Lord, I put a lot of work into this. And then Joanne came up to me and she said, I just have a question for you. Why are you doing this? And I said, well, I mean, I, I'm 24 years old. I mean, I'm young. I, I'm inexperienced. I, I didn't even know why. I just knew I was doing it. I said, well, you know, I believe that we're three-dimensional beings. We're physical, mental, and spiritual. And I believe that we need to help in the physical line and also people in the spiritual. And I, so I, I chose to do this. She said, oh, wow, do you, do you probe the spiritual? Uh, do you give Bible studies? Oh, yeah, we give Bible studies. Oh, I would love to have Bible studies. I, we went to the home of Joanne and started studying. She said, my husband is a high school teacher in town, and he's never heard anything like this. Could you study? Could he come to those studies? Oh, yes, bring him. So Dave and Joanne came. We baptized them. They introduced us to his brother and sis, or his brother and his brother's wife. We studied with them. They were both baptized. They introduced us to his mother and father, and we studied with them, and they were both baptized. The first cooking school, six people, six people that I know of, and I don't know how many in eternity, because only God knows that. And I thought it was a complete disaster but precious fruit was gathered in spite of my deficiencies. So whatever you have, give those talents and those gifts to the Lord because he's going to use you. And I've been doing cooking schools ever since. And in every single campaign that my husband has had in the last 35 years, we have always had health evangelism and a cooking school before every meeting. And I just did my last one in Portland, Maine, and I had... I was the preacher, but in addition to that, I did the cooking school before the meetings. And so you can do it. You can do it. I want to inspire you to do it. We've had cooking schools down through the, the time. Someone said, L.A. can't happen in L.A. L.A. is too secular. We had a cooking school. This was our cooking school in Los Angeles. We had our displays. We had everything. And then we had our evangelistic meetings. We had so many people coming. We had double sessions. And we had several hundred baptized as a result. So you can conduct health ministry, health evangelism. Get your materials. I didn't have in those early days these materials. They're available today. Many materials, not only our materials, but many materials. We're not here to promote any one material. We're here to say the materials are out there. Utilize them. And you can, and, and, but what classes, what nutrition classes can you conduct as we close? I want to give you some practice here. What cooking classes? Well, bread and whole grains is my first one. And do you know why I start with bread? I learned something from that advertising in 1973. You know what I learned? You know what I learned, my friends? I learned that bread was non-controversial. The editor didn't want to start with vegetarianism because she said it's too controversial. But she wanted bread. 
And so I thought, that's a good tip for me. I start with bread every time. You know why? People love it. You're giving them all these benefits of whole grains. You're teaching them how to make whole grain bread. They absolutely love it. And then I go right from there into making breakfast a better meal. How to make breakfast a better meal. And then from there, I go into meal balancing. And then I do protein without any meat. I haven't even talked about milk, eggs, and cheese because I've given them everything else. Then finally, someone in the class will say, you know, I've noticed, Mrs. Finley, that you haven't used any milk, eggs, or cheese. Uh, you know, we haven't even missed it because we've given them so many other things. They don't even know it. And then we teach them how to have adequate protein without meat by using a plant-based fruits, nuts, grains, and vegetable diet. And then I like to end with simple, healthful desserts because everybody likes a dessert. And I want them to know we're balanced. We're balanced here. We're going to give you some great desserts. We're going to give you some date bars. We're going to give you some uh, carrot pie. We're going to give you some apple pie. We're going to give you some homemade soy ice cream. We're going to give you, uh, you know, some apple crisp. We're going to give you all these things. Uh, and we give them so much more. And so what are some of the things that you can teach? You can teach a lot of things. I've, te I've taught even classes on canning and freezing. I've taught on lunches, school lunches. I've taught on all of these things. But I find these five classes are just something that the people really need. And I can incorporate all these principles of health in those five classes. So home homemade bread making made easy is what I call it. And I ha we have videos out there. The videos are are old, older now because we looked younger back then, but uh, people are still using them. I have people coming up to me and saying, you know what, the cooking school was easy. It's totally all on video, all on DVD. And all I had to do is just, you know, I had to prepare the samples and do all that, but the whole cooking school is done. So we have all those materials. I know there are others out there as well. But we have our entire, all these five classes on DVD. We have everything out there that you need. But you can have an, a wonderful cooking school promoting the natural Eden diet of fruits, nuts, grains, and vegetables. And Ellen White says in Councils on Diets and Foods 251, the one, let's read it together because this is powerful. The one who understands the art of properly preparing food and who uses this knowledge is worthy of higher commendation than those engaged in any other line of work. Wow, if you understand and properly prepare food and use this knowledge, you will have higher commendation. But listen to what else she says. Let's read it. This talent should be regarded as equal in value to 10 talents for its right use has much to do with keeping the human organism in health. Wow, you got 10, if you can cook and you know how to cook good, you already have 10 talents. Did you know that? You have 10 talents. That's where that book 10 talents comes from, this statement. You already have 10 talents, so use it. Use it for the Lord and start a cooking school. Because, let's finish it, because so inseparably 
connected with life and health. It is the most valuable of all gifts. It's the most valuable. So you already have 10 talents, my friends. Use it for the Lord. Let me tell you about Poland as we end today. When we went to Poland, we prayed, Lord, open the door. Our people prayed. We were in the Trans-European Division from 1985 to 1990. In that division, we had three communist countries, Poland, Hungary, and Yugoslavia. And our people from Poland said, we want to get into Poland. We want, Pastor Finley, we want you to come and preach in Poland. We've been denied the gospel for 40 years. We want you to come. But the government wouldn't let us. So finally, they prayed. And we said, maybe the government will open up the door. We finally prayed and prayed. And they said to us, just remember, Pastor, we know how to pray. And they prayed. And so we had an opportunity to, after several approaches and discussions and everything, we had an opportunity to approach the, the government. I was with Mark in this visit, and we were in the government office, meeting with the government officials of Poland. And he said to my husband straight out, the leader, said, Mr. Finley, never called him Pastor Finley, but always Mr. Finley, Mr. Finley, we have the troubled city of Gdańsk. It is the center of the solidarity movement. And is there anything that you can do to help us? And he said, well, sir, I have a few questions. Do you have heart disease in your country? Oh, yes. We have a lot of heart disease. Do you have cancer? Oh, yes. We have a lot of cancer. What about diabetes? What about Obesity, what about some of these other things? Oh, yes. Well, maybe we could help. Maybe we could come in with some health programs. Maybe we could come in and we could share with you how to quit smoking to reduce lung cancer. Maybe we could come in and do some programs on nutrition to help you with getting your cholesterol levels down. Oh, Mr. Finley, we'd be delighted for you to come and do that. And so we did. This was 1987, before the fall of the wall in 1989. And we entered through the health message into Poland to do stop smoking plans. I mean, we carried a big cigarette, fake cigarette with us through the city saying, on Polenso, whatever it was in Polish, and, and everybody was throwing their cigarettes away. And they were throwing them away. And then we had programs on health. I didn't know how to do a cooking school, but I certainly learned. And then we did it. And crime was going down, the health was getting better. So they called us back in the office, in government office, and they said, Mr. Finley, our city has been getting better because of what you've been doing in health that I'm gonna give you a blank piece of paper and you can do whatever you want in this city. And he said, well, sir, what I would like to do then is I would like to have your Gdańsk Theater. The Lenin, I'd like to have the Leningrad Theater in Gdańsk. I would like to use it to have some meetings on the Bible. 
now, wow. Well, I've given you a blank piece of paper. I said you could do what you want. And so we were granted the opportunity of having the first evangelistic meeting in Gdańsk, Poland, in the Leningrad Theater. We wondered what would happen. We only had, my friends, about 60 Seventh-day Adventists. So we didn't have a lot of Adventists, but we did health programs. I mean, one in a sequence right after another. We did all these health programs. We started Bible studies. We started doing these. Then we had our sign, Novozeci. Novozeci in Polish means new life. And we plastered it everywhere, on the trams, on the trees, on the trolleys, everywhere. And we wondered what would happen. Would people come to this evangelistic meeting? This is on the Bible. They know it's the Bible. What would happen? Before that meeting that night, about a quarter of a mile down the road, everybody was lined up. And they were pressing their faces and their noses and their eyes against that glass in that theater, waiting for those doors to open. And as those doors opened and people went through that turnstile into that theater, 1,200 seats were filled. 1,200 seats were filled. And the authorities came to my husband and the translator and said, what do we do? There are people still outside. There are people waiting outside. Mark said, go, ask the authorities if we can have a second session. They went to the authorities and said, the first session is from 6 to 8. Because we didn't know to plan it earlier. 6 to 8. If you will wait until 8 o'clock, you can come in to a second session. And the, and the usher went out to the door, and he told us himself what happened. He went out to the door, and he said people were literally crying at the door. And one man waved his zelates, his Polish money, and said, please, please, I'll give you two weeks' wages to get into these meetings. We've been denied the gospel for 40 years. Please let us in. He said people were crying and wanting to come into the meetings. And my friends, that day we made a decision that we would have a second session, and we set up at the end of those meetings a makeshift baptistry with a pool. I have pictures of it. I'm going to have to get it up on the screen another time. But um, pictures of that baptistry and Scores of people were baptized, but the biggest thing that happened was that opened the door in communist countries, that opened the door for us to go into, the, into Yugoslavia, into Hungary, into, the, into uh, Moscow, into Russia. We went into the Plahana University in Moscow. We then went into the Kremlin Auditorium, we then went into the Olympic Stadium and raised up 12 new churches in the middle of Moscow from nothing but the beginnings of our health evangelism and health ministry. Does health ministry work? Yes. 
It works. Millions the world over are waiting for the message of health entrusted to Seventh-day Adventists. The Chennai story, I just will briefly tell you, we are building a new center in Chennai, India. We've been there with our health message. We've been there with our evangelism. And we've been working there since the year 2000. We have a 10-year commitment to Chennai. When we went there, we had 12 churches in the city of Chennai, India. And today, we have 144 churches in Chennai, India. And we're building an entire center, which will house three churches. It will house a medical center, a whole medical missionary center. And it will house Hope Channel. And it will house a place to do our Bible instruction. We've hired 50 Bible workers on a regular basis in Chennai, India, because of the work that's going forward. And the door was opened in all of these countries because of the health message. I believe in it, my friends. I believe in it. God is blessing. You are the gospel message. You are the health message. This is what will make health programs more meaningful. The scientific data is not what finally convinces the public that we have the truth. Testimonies, Volume 9, here's where it's at, my friends. 189, let's read it together. If we would humble ourselves before God, and be kind and courteous and tender-hearted and pitiful. There would be 100 conversions to the truth where there is now only one. So I bid you as we go today, please be in all of your health programs, in all of your evangelistic programs. Be humble, be kind, be courteous, be tender-hearted, be pitiful, and God will bless you. That is where it's at. Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, won their confidence. Then he bade them follow me. So Christ's method is contact. Christ's method is concern. Christ's method is compassion. Christ's method is caring. Christ's method is confidence. And Christ's method is commitment. And as you have these Christ method as you go out, you will have success. Allow God, my friends, to work through you. Use your gifts in his service and he will and dedicate your gifts to him and he will bless you. He will bless you. Now I know we've come to the end and I know you have questions, but we're going to let you go. But has this been helpful to you today? Good. Good. Well, Let's pray. I know that you probably have many questions on, you know, pr more practical things. Um, I have a, 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 another class on just practice and so forth, but I only had one originally, and then Don gave me a, the one earlier this morning, and so we got in a little more, but um, we'll have to do it another time. But let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the health message. We're indeed grateful that you showed the modern-day prophet all these things about health. And we have them right in these books, Ministry of Healing and Medical Ministry and Councils on Diets and Foods and uh, all these books we have before us. Help us to take advantage of it. 
Help us to go out there and be bold for Jesus Christ. Help us to be unashamedly teaching some of these things. Lord, bless us as we go back to our churches. Help us to implement these things that we've learned. Help us to be a blessing to the community around us. Oh Lord, help our church to be vibrant and alive. And we know that as we give you the glory, all the glory, and all the praise that you will bless exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. In Jesus' precious name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.